And Lord, as, uh, as we gather together as a body this morning um, to open your word, to hear from you, I pray that as uh, Mike opens the word and, and teaches from it, that, um, Lord, your Holy Spirit would be guiding, guiding our hearts, finding soft hearts to you, ready to receive your word as, as seed that grows, um, as we look to um, be forces for you in our community, in our households, to our families, to our coworkers. As we seek to follow your example, um, would you find willing hearts um, to, to hear your word and respond this morning? We ask this in your name. Amen. Hi. Hi. My name is BJ. If you don't know me, um, I'm a staff pastor here, and I spend most of my time with youth. And today I'm going to read a little scripture over our sermon this morning before Mike comes up. He's asked me to read from the Gospel of John, chapter 15. And these are the words of Jesus. These are the words of Jesus for us. He says in verse 1, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit, because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch, and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Thanks, BJ. Hello again. Hola. Good to see you guys again. Having uh, listened to that passage be read, doesn't it just make you want to dig into John 15 for like the whole morning? <laughs> it's like, <gasps> it's so good. But we're in Mark 11, so I'm going to ask you to turn to Mark chapter 11 as we continue our study in the Gospel of Mark. And as I often do, while you're turning to Mark chapter 11, and beginning with what BJ just read over us from John 15, I think it's essential that we agree with the whole counsel of Scripture regarding the following statement. Life is God-given and always for the purpose of fruit-bearing. Life is given to us by God and it's always for the purpose of fruit-bearing. I think that that's a really exciting thing to think about, especially when you read John 15. And Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches, because that immediately means that our source of fruit bearing is not ourselves. It's Jesus himself. Isn't that like, I mean, we could just sit and just thank God and praise God over that for the rest of the morning. You guys, from the first pages of the Bible, as God created every living thing, Trees to bear fruit, animals to have young, human beings created to be fruitful and multiply. God's creation was intended to bear fruit. And God himself, 
established himself as the source of that fruit bearing. Asaph, in Psalm 80, as we go through the scriptures and we start to look at just the failure of mankind, the sinfulness of mankind, the deviation away from the purpose that God created us for, Asaph says this in Psalm 80, he cries out to God because the vine of God's people that he dug up from Egypt and planted in the promised land had been pillaged by a host of creatures who ate its fruit and tore at its branches because they forsook the one who supplied their very life. Isaiah 5 is a song about the vineyard God planted, Israel, and the Lord expresses his sorrow in their disobedience in verse 4 by saying, what more could I have done for my vineyard than I did? Why, when I expected a yield of good grapes, did it yield worthless grapes? And Isaiah reveals in chapter 5, verse 7, for the vineyard of the Lord, Lord of armies is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah, the plant he delighted in. He expected justice, but saw injustice. He expected righteousness, but heard cries of despair. Notice what fruit production in the context of Isaiah 5 looks like. It looks like justice, and it looks like righteousness. This is the fruit that grows by faith on all healthy believers, is justice and righteousness, the goodness of God right off of the branch. Faith, we learn, is essential to fruitfulness. Faith is essential to fruitfulness. There's a clear theological line through the scriptures that explains what Jesus is talking about in John 15, what he illustrates for us using himself and the Father and his, belie- and his followers, his children, as he defines who the vine is and who the branches are. We, by faith in him, will produce fruit that is not wild grapes, as Isaiah speaks of in chapter 5. But by faith, we produce abundant fruit that will reveal the justice and righteousness of God within this world. Because Jesus himself is the source, and Jesus himself is the head of the body that is the church. We want to produce that abundant fruit that will reveal the justice and righteousness of God within this world. Paul beautifully explains this in Romans 4 as he speaks of Abraham and his faith and what it produced in Romans 4, 3 through 5. It says this, For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. Now to the one who works, pay is not credited as a gift, but as something owed. But to the one who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited for righteousness. Amen? That is the righteousness that comes by faith alone, by the grace of God. So why begin here? Why start with this, looking at John 15, talking about the goodness and the grace of God? First of all, because we could just talk about the goodness and the grace of God all day, hopefully, because it's exciting and it's thrilling to think about the good work that he's doing in our hearts and our lives, and that it's all of him that that health that comes into the branch is completely sourced in the vine, but also because Jesus is about to do something in Jerusalem in his first full day of being in Jerusalem following Palm Sunday. As Monday has now come, Jesus is going to come into the city, come into Jerusalem. And what he does is very powerful and impactful. And I hope that we can go a little bit deeper than maybe we've gone before as we talk about Jesus cursing a fig tree, as we talk about him cleansing his temple. So let's begin. We'll pick up in the first section in Mark chapter 11, verse 12. 
And then we'll close off with a section towards the end, but we're going to read from verse 12 through verse 19 to begin our time. Mark records for us, the next day in verse 12, when they went out from Bethany, he was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree with leaves, he went out to find if there was anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. They came to Jerusalem, and he went into the temple and began to throw out those by and would anything. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. Anyone to carry be called a through the temple. He was teaching them, is it not written, my house will for all nations? But you have made it a den of thieves. The chief priests and the scribes heard it and started looking for a way to kill him. For they were afraid of him because the whole crowd was astonished by his teaching. Whenever evening came, they would go out of the city. Remember that the day prior, after Jesus rode into town on the colt and was greeted with the shouts of Hosanna, at the very end of that day, it was evening, it was late, and it said that Jesus went up to the temple and he looked around, and then he went back to Bethany. It's interesting that on the next day, here he comes. He comes right back, and he's going to go right back to the temple again, having already set in his mind what he was going to do. And here on the following day, as he sets out to return to the temple, en route, he sees this fig tree. And although it wasn't seasoned for figs, you can still eat the buds. So even though it wasn't the right season to eat the figs themselves, the buds were edible, and that's most likely what he was looking for. However, this fig tree, notice it tells us in verse 13, had nothing but leaves. There were no buds that would bring figs later on. It had the appearance of health, but not even the edible buds that would lead to fruit. The tree was deceptive. It gave the appearance of health because of the health of the leaves. It had leaves, it had grown, but there was no fruit whatsoever. Fascinating, isn't it? If you do a study on fig trees in the Old Testament, which would be really cool if someone's like, I did a fig tree study in the Bible, that's cool. You'll find some powerful insight as to what is both physically happening here and what's symbolically happening. In the Old Testament, the fig tree is a symbol of Israel. You can go back through the Old Testament and not only look through the teachings, but look through especially the prophecies. The books of the prophets speak of Israel being like a fig tree in, in different ways. In the Old Testament, the fig tree was the symbol of Israel, and we read about it in Jeremiah chapter 2, chapter 24, Hosea 2. Hosea 9, and in this passage, I'm going to put on the screen for us, from Micah 7, says this, right at the beginning of that chapter. How sad for me, for I am like one who, when the summer fruit has been gathered after the gleaning of the grape harvest, finds no grape cluster to eat, no early fig, which I crave. Faithful people have vanished from the land. There is no one upright among the people. It's interesting that as he says, no early fig which I crave, he immediately in verse 2 says, faithful people have vanished. Did you see that? Did you catch it? Faith is essential to fruitfulness. That's being brought right to the forefront of our mind. Faith is essential to fruitfulness. When Jesus came into the temple, did he find faithful worship happening? I would say no, because he kind of made a ruckus, right? When Jesus comes to the temple, 
He doesn't find faithful worship happening. And it's interesting because I think at times I've read through this passage in the past and I've seen the fig tree story and I've been like, this is a really odd placement. And Jesus gets mad at this fig tree and curses it because he's hungry. Then he goes and he cleans up the temple and then he comes back and as we're going to see in a minute, revisits the fig tree. And you're like, what a, what a weird thing. No, it's brilliant. It's absolute brilliance, and it's being done very intentionally by Mark. He wants us to see this picture as a whole. He wants us to see the cursed fig tree. He wants us to see the situation in the temple and the aftermath with the fig tree because he is teaching a very vital lesson, and that is that faith is essential to fruitfulness. The structure of the text is masterfully done. If you look at the Old Testament and the prophecies surrounding Israel to the barren fig trees, we then have the ability to understand the connection to the lack of faith that his actions in the temple warranted. Faithful worship had ceased and the Messiah prophetically was spoken of as the one who would purify the temple in Ezekiel 37 and in Malachi 3. So it's spoken of in in the Old Testament that the Messiah would come and he would be the one who purifies the temple. And so he does. And by faith, God's people were free to come and worship him there in the temple. So they were free to come and worship him there in the temple. And Jesus quotes from this beautiful passage in Isaiah 56, 7. He says, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. He's quoting from Isaiah. He says, that's what this is supposed to be. All the nations are supposed to be able to come here and worship. And worship freely. Everyone is invited. Remember, Israel was supposed to be a city that was set on a hill. They were supposed to be a light to the nations around them. Inviting the nations around them. Come and see this amazing God that we serve. It was supposed to be an open invitation. But here, and likely in the court of the Gentiles, where most buying and selling would occur because of the greed that had taken place there from the money changers who weren't giving a fair trade for currency because of the location and those who were selling animals for sacrifice marked up and unfairly. Jesus declares that they've made his house a den of thieves instead. Instead of a house of prayer, it's a place where people are being stolen from. And he's referencing Jeremiah 7, verse 11. They were essentially stealing from the nations who were supposed to be coming to the house of prayer. These people were supposed to be coming and meeting God and worshiping God, and instead they were being taken advantage of. These people were dealing unrighteously and unjustly, but we know that faith begets righteousness. We know that true faith begets justice. We know that there will be fruit on those branches when they're connected to the Lord, and Jesus is revealing the religious brokenness of his people. And so, he doesn't stand back. He gives this example to his disciples, and he curses the fig tree, and then he goes into the temple, and he cleans house and restores it back. The religious leaders, they're unyielding. They want him more than ever to be put to death for this. Ready for any cause to hold against him. They've already been murderous in intent before, but now 
It grows every day as Jesus continues to do the work that his father sent him to do. Now, as we look at this and we see Jesus cleansing the temple, and we think about the fig tree and this, this picture of Israel that it is, I want us to just take a moment and thank the Lord that we're the church. That we're his people. We want to learn from this. We're his people. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen? His Holy Spirit lives in us. We are here as evidence that God bears fruit through his church. And so we need good news here. And I want you to realize there's encouragement here. Are you ready? Okay, good. Look at what Jesus says the following days. They pass the fig tree again. Verses 20 through 25 says this. Early in the morning, as they were passing by, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. Then Peter, much like Mike, remembered and said to him, because this is exactly what I would do. You're like, the tree, right? (laughs) Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed is withered. Jesus replied to them, have faith in God. I don't do this much, but can you guys just, can we say that together? Have faith in God. That is exactly what we are intended to point to the temple as a law section. That's the point. That's the pull is Jesus. Sign your faith in God and God alone. Have faith in God. And he says this, truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, everything you pray and ask for, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him so that your father in heaven will also forgive you your wrongdoing. Well, that's good news. This is really good news. And I think so often we may look at that and say like, I can have anything I want. We'll get to that. You guys, the key to these two scenes, the cursing of the fig tree and the temple cleansing is found right here in verse 22. Have faith in God. G. Campbell Morgan summarizes it so well. He says, he was not giving them the secret for destroying fig trees. I love that. (laughs) But the secret for so living that they should not be destroyed as the fig tree had been destroyed. He's showing us the key to fruitfulness. Have faith in God. It's not about all these other religious practices. He says this, you see all that temple worship that was going on? It was a mess. He says, here's what we need. We need faith in God. That's what needs to be happening in his, happening in his temple. It's what needs to be happening in our lives, in our homes, in our workplaces. Have faith in God. Jesus is giving his followers the secret of making destruction unnecessary. That's what the fig tree is supposed to teach us. The warning that it provides is so striking. It's a revelation of God's right to righteously take just action to discipline and punish sin. It's a reminder of the consequence of unfaithfulness to God and the byproduct of it, a complete lack of fruitfulness that God creates people for and establishes nations for. If fruit is not found, then life has departed from the vine and that life has departed the vine because faith in God has departed. It just reveals a lack of faith. But Jesus looks at those who are his, his disciples, and us, the church. And he says, have faith in God and pray. 
Isn't it interesting how quickly we can get distracted and we can become about so many other things besides just the basics, faith in God and prayer. Coming to the Lord's word and reading what it says and, and, and asking for him to work that into our hearts and to allow us to minister to others the truth of his word. You guys hear Jesus looks at those who are his and says, have faith in God and pray. And again, this isn't an instructional on how to move mountains around. This isn't an instructional like, okay, so all I have to do is this, and then I get that. That's not what it is. Jesus is using an illustration to make a point. He's saying that the greatest possible difficulties can be removed when a person has faith. And that faith must be placed in the right place. That faith has to be in God. You guys, lack of faith will inhibit us from being able to do the essential function that we were created to do. Lack of faith will inhibit us from being able to do the essential function that we were created to do. But when our faith is in God and we pray, he's able to do beyond what we can imagine when our hearts are knit to his in prayer and obedience according to his will. Did you catch that? Because I'm going to say it again. God is able to do beyond what we can imagine when our hearts are knit to his in prayer and in obedience according to his will. You guys, that's a powerful thing. Our prayers are always submitted to the will of God. Jesus isn't saying you're going to get whatever you want so long as your faith is in God. He's saying this, God will remove obstacles when our faith is properly placed. What those obstacles are, I don't know what they are for you, but I've seen him remove them for me. And they always enable me to do more for his kingdom and not for my own glory. That's exactly what he's going to do for us as church because God desires to be glorified through the work of his church. And so as our prayers are submitted to the will of God, Jesus makes this clear in a few days from this moment. Here in Mark 11, there on Monday. But later on, when they're in the upper room together celebrating the Passover meal in John chapter 15, as we read at the beginning, later on in this week, on the night when he was betrayed, Jesus told the disciples this, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. Did you notice how he prefaced his statement? He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, then ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. It all comes through submission to the Lord. It all comes through submission to his will for our life. So we ought to come to him in prayer without ceasing because we understand this to be true, that prayer when purified by his love is the true exercise of our faith. Prayer that is purified by the love of God is the true exercise of our faith. When my faith is in God, prayer is going to become something that I naturally will do because I realize that all of my hope is in him, that I don't have the answers, but he does, and that he gives mercy every morning and that he is there, gentle, lowly of heart with his arms open saying, come to me. If you're weary, if you're heavy laden, he, say, he doesn't say like, I'm going to give you more to do. That's not what he says. You can look it up in Matthew 11. That's not what he says. He says, uh, what? I will give you, you could say it out loud. I will give you rest. He says, come to me. I'm going to give you rest. Who's up for some rest? I would like some rest. That sounds nice, right? 
I would love some peace in my life. You know, and it's crazy how we look around. We're trying to find a way to just like, I just got to do this and then I'll get it. And it's like, do what? Go back to Romans 4. That sounds really workspace, doesn't it? Why don't you just come to Jesus and rest? You're like, but aren't we supposed to be, you know, doing things for God? Yeah. But you can't do anything worth doing until you're filled with the energy and the nutrients of the vine. That's it. (laughs) You, You can't do it. Robbie, I expect my next Yelp to come from you. So, <laughs> you guys, here's the thing. Like, that, that's what we have to have. It's a necessity. It's an absolute. It's not a maybe. But we're trying to work our way into it. No wonder we're so tired. You know, I just got to work harder. What's going to happen then? Well, I'm going to fall short, so I'm going to work harder. This sounds like a dangerous spiral. Why don't you come to Jesus? He will give you rest. He will fill you with his spirit. And he will accomplish all that he desires to accomplish in your life. Have you ever stopped and thought about maybe why prayer has felt like such a, a labor and an exercise? I'm not saying that sometimes we, will, we won't pray like earnestly. But do you ever feel like you go to prayer and you don't really know what to say? You go into prayer and you don't really feel like, I just don't know what to do here. Maybe it's because you're laboring too much. Maybe it's because we're coming there and we aren't just sitting at his feet and just thanking God that breath is coming into my lungs right now. Something really changed my life this last summer. We had a number of people pass away um, from in their 70s, 80s, all the way down to a young man who was um, 23. And as I was preparing to do memorial services and just thinking about death a lot, it, it, the Lord just ministered to me in a powerful way. And that's that what we learn through death and processing death is to appreciate life. That we start to appreciate life that we have and the people around us that God has blessed us with. And that means that when we grieve and when we mourn, God's intention through that time is not for us to try and escape it, to grieve and to mourn and to not try and run away from it, but to realize his goal in the midst of it is to get us to realize how precious life is and then be thankful. God seeks to produce thankfulness even through loss because it gives us the opportunity to realize just how precious life is. It is precious. It is a gift. And I'm thankful that I got to hear that from all three of the men that I had to lead memorial services for this year. All three of them told me what a gift life was. All three of them were ready to go see Jesus. And you know what that's done for me? Oh, I've mourned. I've cried. I felt the pain with the families. I've sat with them in very low, dark times. But I emerged from that with thankfulness in my heart. Thankfulness that when I got up this morning, air came into my lungs. And we get to see each other and we have people around us that we've been blessed through. You see, guys, when our faith is in God and when our hope is in Him, He brings joy even in the midst of sorrow because we realize that life is a gift and that eternal life is the greatest gift that He could give to us. You guys, we ought to come to Him in prayer without ceasing because we understand that that is an exercise of our faith. 
Before we close out of this passage, I just want to point something out to you. I left one verse out that I didn't really talk about much. Did you notice it? Verse 25. Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven will also forgive you your wrongdoing. Isn't it fascinating that at the end, again, we, we talk about the fig tree, the cursing of the fig tree, the temple, the withered fig tree, the lesson of faith. It's almost like this abrupt transition from verse 24 to 25. He's like, and forgive. Please don't miss this. This is a really important connection for us to see in what Jesus wants to teach us here and what he's teaching us about, about effective prayer. Faith and the willingness to forgive are two conditions of effective prayer. Faith and the willingness to forgive go hand in hand. They're interwoven so much so that Jesus brings it up in context here. Faith and the willingness to forgive. For our prayers to not be hindered and for them to be effective, we have to have faith in God and thereby, when our faith is in God, what do we naturally do? We become forgiving. Forgiveness is that fruit. That's that fruit that's being born. Forgiveness is like fruit coming right out of the branch. Forgiveness for others is essential to our lives. It's fruit that's produced from healthy branches. Now there's a lot of other things I think that we can look at and I'll close with that. But faith when it leads us to prayer and prayer as it unites our heart with our Father's heart will produce that fruit of forgiveness. Think about Christ's heart for us. What did he do for us? Died for us and he forgave us our sins. Amen? He forgave our sin debt. Just as Jesus said in Mark ten forty five, Son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many, right? He laid his life down and that forgave our sin debt. And so if Christ is in us and if we are reflecting him and bearing fruit as we ought to, forgiveness will be on that branch. Forgiveness is something that we will bear. And I, I want to just encourage all of us, myself right alongside you guys this morning, we need to realize that God is going to do that through prayer. That forgiveness comes through prayer through submitted prayer to God. Are you having a hard time forgiving? Have you had a hard time forgiving somebody? Let me suggest this to you. It could very well be that it's not being brought to God in prayer and submitted to him in prayer. Now, you might do that really well and say like, but I have done that. Oh, it's not a one-time thing, folks. I'm not saying you haven't done it once, twice, three times. Let's just make it a daily practice. Or as Paul would say, let's pray without ceasing. Amen? When you feel that bitterness rising up, when you feel that unforgetfulness, that is the Lord calling you to prayer. That is the Lord calling you to himself and saying, I will work this through you. Forgiveness will be fruit that is bore from that vine. It's going to come out of the branches. He's going to work that into you, but it's got to completely be something that we do over and over and over again. Keep coming to him. I used to think I was broken. Whenever the pastor of my church, when I was a kid, would talk about asking for the Lord to change my heart, to confess sin, and then to forgive people, and, and all of that, I used to be like, I'm, I'm coming back to the same person. 
Like every time. Every time. And I felt like I wasn't doing it right. I was like, I'm broken. I don't know how to do this right. And I I realized one morning as I was reading scripture, this is something I have to do all the time. I was reading the passage where Jesus is talking to Peter and he says, should I forgive my enemy seven times? Pharisees say three. I'm more than doubling it, right? He says seven times. And he says, no, seven times 70, right? And he's not saying 490. You're like, Mike's a genius. No, I just, I've said it a bunch of times. Like, <laughs> no, that's not what he's saying. He's saying continually forgive. Forgive consistently and constantly. Make forgiveness a pattern of your life. It's fruit that comes from a healthy branch. I think other things that we'll see come from that branch. We read in Galatians 5. I think we'll see it in Galatians 5.22. We'll see that fruit come because the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Let's not be like the fig trees that are struggling with this. You guys have faith in God. This is, this is who the church is. The, our identity is in Jesus now. We see these examples and we look back into scripture, we look back to the nation of Israel and it's all just to point us to Jesus and say, this is where we need to be. This is where my faith needs to be. This is where true fruit bearing comes from. Church, I want to encourage you, spend some time with the Lord today. After this, go home and open up the word. Go to Galatians 5.22 and just pray and ask the Lord to bear all the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And Lord, show me how to pray according to your will. Show me how to pray for the things that you want in this world, that you want in my life. I just want you to be glorified through me. Worship team, come on up. Let's pray together, church. Lord, we we just recognize, and I want to take a moment this morning to just thank you. God, thank you for sending your son. Thank you, God, for for sending him to teach us and to lead us and to set an example for us, to live a perfect life and to sacrifice himself for us. Lord, he, he paid a debt that we could have never paid. God, it was your plan from the beginning to send your son. And Jesus, as we just think about our lives and think about the words of a song that we sang this morning, Lord, when death was arrested, when the death that held sway over us, the sin that had shackled us was removed, Jesus, by your blood, by your sacrifice. Lord, would you just remind us of your forgiveness for our sin, that you have forgiven us and that you have washed us and cleaned us. Lord, give us your heart to forgive others. Lord, I I just pray that as we worship you that as conviction happens we would draw near lord maybe we're thinking about people right now maybe we're thinking about someone that i we just really struggle to forgive lord may we hear your words have faith in god press into the lord he is the only one that can give us the ability maybe we're just working too hard and we're not resting jesus we're not resting in your finished work lord if we are trying to go back to some of those old habits from 
the past. Lord, correct us, remind us. Convict us in our hearts, Lord, but we ask that you convict us as a church, that we would be a church that has faith in our God, a church that seeks after our Father in prayer, a church that is forgiving. Lord, a church that bears much fruit. Lord, that love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control is what our church shines into this world. That we reveal to the world because your spirit is producing abundant fruit from our lives. Jesus, thank you for your encouragement. Thank you for your love. Lord, as we worship you this morning, would you just remind us of what a wonderful and amazing and indescribable joy it is to know you. Let's take a moment, church. Let's just keep our heads bowed, our eyes closed. Just take a moment and thank, thank God for his forgiveness. Thank God for his forgiveness, for his love, and for the reality that his spirit is in you, giving you the ability to bear fruit. Just take a moment and thank the Lord for that.